0: Take your bibles and turn to first thessalonians 5. first thessalonians 5 we're closing out our getting close to closing out our uh sessions that we've had on first thessalonians uh and going through this letter uh it's been good we remind ourselves that the theme of this is uh the whole book is a connection connecting church in a collapsing culture Uh, The society around uh, the Thessalonians were one that was uh, really in some ways falling into its own destruction and persecuting the Christians while they were supposed to reflect a connection with the culture around them, uh, the society around them by their lives. And as we get to First Thessalonians uh, chapter 4 or 5 at the end of this, I'm reminded of uh, reading the section that we're going to look at. I'm reminded of being a teenager and then also being a youth pastor and having uh, competitions. And one of the things that you would oftentimes have when you got a bunch of teens together is that you would pull out a very long rope. Uh, and if you had time, you would dig a big pit and put water in it and you'd have a tug of war. Over a mud pit or you'd have a tug-of-war just plain old out and out have this and uh, it was always entertaining because you'd always have you know certain kids that would think you know okay I'm gonna you know single-handedly pull the other team across the line you know and they get up there and they uh, get on there and of course you always had the the largest guy who tied the rope on to him at the very end in the back of the line uh, whatever it may be but being involved in this you you suddenly realize that tug-of-war required teamwork And when you initially started, uh, both sides would just be yanking and pulling and and, uh, you'd see a single person that might be uh, just pulling over and over and over again trying to tug and you'd have one person just leaning back and whatever else. And you soon found out that the team that figured out how to coordinate their, well, the pulls not just merely pulling back, but figured out how to coordinate this. And usually you'd have somebody that would finally get a countdown where they would, you know, one, two, three, and then they'd start, you know, all yank at the same time. And over time, what you would see is that the team that had organized their pulling together uh, would win. And it didn't require that you had the largest of individuals or even necessarily at times the strongest of individuals. It was the group that would get together and pull. And so it is when the Apostle Paul gets to the end of this letter, he's dealing with a church, a group of people, that he is trying to get to work together, to pull together, to move together, uh, to accomplish the purpose of reaching the community around them, connecting with them. But it started with them uh, themselves being what they should be and also being aware of the circumstances around them as we look at uh, this passage of scripture we'll see this uh theme played out that the connecting church uh, moves forward it's moving ahead it's connecting until the day of christ i just want to read through the section we're going to look at it's got some very familiar verses in fact ones that you wish you uh, had the opportunity to memorize if you were ever in a school that did this where you memorize verses these are wonderful verses to try and memorize because they're really short but they're packed uh, with uh, much material here we're going to read from verse 16 right down to the end of uh, the chapter here sorry verse number 16 it says rejoice evermore pray without ceasing and everything give thanks for this is the will of god in christ jesus concerning you quench not the spirit despise not prophesyings, prove all things Hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. You notice there is a number of very quick and all of these being commands, especially to start off with. This is very common for the letters of the Apostle Paul. As he would finish out, he would have, as we one time described in Romans, a kind of a grocery list of commands. Kind of these things, uh, reminders at the end just before he gets done. You need to do these things. And it's sort of like the list that you would get when you were a child where mom would have just kind of a a random list of things that you were supposed to get done. It seemed random. I'm sure there was a purpose behind it. But uh, a random list of things you were supposed to get done and It was just reminders before mom left of things that needed to be accomplished and so it is with the apostle paul he is uh not there with this church congregation but as the letter closes out he's just giving them a series of commands and you could group them in the first uh three commands verses 16 17 and 18 are grouped together for one purpose and then you have the commands given in verse 19 through 22 these have a purpose behind them they're kind of a a goal that is there the first commands that you have in verses 16, 17, and 18, you find that this connecting church moves, or excuse me, the con- connecting church displays a worshipful attitude. That they've got their own soul right. That they've got things going on in their own soul and the relationship with God and the worship of God that is going right. This is a command given to, as you see these things, rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing. These are commands given to the whole church, but realize this: when you're giving it to the whole church, the church is made up of individuals. So this is a charge both to the individuals and the church that these things are going on. Say, so what did the apostle Paul deem is very important that these church, these individuals had as part of their? Worship. Well, it was simply this. You have, first of all, the fact that they always rejoice. This is the shortest verse in the Bible, and some people would say, well, no, that was Jesus wept, and you're going, no. Because in the Greek, it's only two words. Jesus wept is actually three words in the Greek, and it's longer. So this technically is the the shortest verse in your Bible if you're reading it in the original language, but you also have to realize that verse and chapter references weren't given until a couple hundred years after the letter was actually written. So uh, whatever the case may be, this is the shortest statement in Scripture, but it is packed with something very difficult, And it is not natural for human beings to rejoice. And you say, what's rejoice? That there is an inward attitude of happiness, delight. That there is this uh, in human beings, it doesn't come naturally. You go, how do you know that? Well, when you think about the fruits of the Spirit, it starts off, the fruit of the Spirit is love, what, joy, joy. Okay, it's something that does not come to uh, individuals naturally. It comes to them as the work of the Spirit in their life that rejoicing is a part of this. And even though it is a fruit of the Spirit, it is commanded, it is a command of the will. You think about the emotion of joy. There is an element of emotion to this. This is a command that Paul says, I'm telling you and your will to determine that you rejoice always. Always. This is not a, a new theme in uh, Paul's letters. We could think of another verse that a lot of people have memorized if you've been around Christianity for any length of time. Philippians 4.4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. If you didn't get it the first time, I'm telling you this is what your responsibility is to rejoice. Now one has put it this way, this is not a sugar-coated call for putting on a happy face in the midst of difficulties. You know, that you plaster a mask that's a smile on your face and that it's just, you know, you're always happy no matter what's happening. What's going on here is that you have a church that is undergoing severe hardship because of its faith in Christ. I mean, you find out in the very story of the church of Thessalonica when you first have people coming to a faith in Jesus Christ, and they have the church that is forming in the synagogue. People are coming to Christ, getting saved. They're coming to the synagogue. Eventually, what happens is that they get thrown out of the synagogue. They start meeting in town, and especially it seems to be in the house of a man by the name of Jason. And in Acts chapter 17, we're told uh, that eventually the Jews get so upset that they uh, hire men uh, that are baser men, uh, or I can't, oh, I'm forgetting the, the title of them. They were baser men of a lower sort. But you have this, uh, these individuals that are the worst in society. That the Jews go and find and say, make life difficult for this. And I'm guessing money exchanged hands on this and, and promises and, and these type of things. But the church had the first assault uh, there where these individuals come in, take people out of their houses uh, and drag them before the magistrates and declare that these are people who are turning the world upside down they're 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 throwing things into complete confusion and what used to be the norm in our society now they're thrown they've thrown a wrench into this and they're causing everything thing to fall apart that's how this church started and it seems like in reading Paul's letter after he left as we read through 1st Thessalonians and we read through 2nd Thessalonians that that kind of persecution continued and here you have individuals that are in a community that is battling with them and perhaps even in their own homes that they are being battled against and they are told to rejoice. You say, why are they able to rejoice? It's not because of their circumstances. Okay, their present circumstances are the like. It's because of who they know. You think about that command in philippians chapter 4 it says rejoice in the lord in christ the fact that you know christ that as you think about life and all the difficulties that may happen and even your life possibly ending there is this comfort and understanding that you have christ and that in him you can rejoice no matter what the circumstances are because one day you will stand before this christ in a place that he has prepared for you and if you're one who has faith in christ you have that hope that you will be with him forever and a place that god has specifically prepared for individuals to have fellowship with him forever i mean this is a command to rejoice and you say well, what's wrong with the individuals who say that they're christians who can't rejoice they just don't seem to have or have joy of any kind even in difficult circumstances one has put it this way the christian who remains in sadness and depression really breaks the commandment in some direction or other he mistrusts god his power his providence his forgiveness what he's promised i mean all of these things he's questioning if you're an individual who cannot at times have joy I mean, if you are going through rough circumstances as a believer, there are things to have comfort in knowing that you are in Christ. You have reason to joy. As a pastor, I've told you some of the most difficult sermons that I have to preach are at funerals of individuals that I, I do not know if they were saved or not. In some cases, I know they aren't. They didn't know Christ it's hard to give comfort and it's hard in difficult times for individuals that are well going along these individuals that pass away and they don't know Christ if they don't know Christ they really have no hope they have no reason for joy but a Christian ought to be one even in the most difficult of circumstances that there is a light and a brightness about their character and their hope That people see there ought to be joy at knowing Christ people ought to know that no matter what the circumstances are you're okay not that you're happy and rejoicing there is going to be sorrow but the fact is is that there's a a joy in the soul of an individual like this that ought to be the case that ought to be seen not only should a believer be one who rejoices evermore or is rejoicing all the time that verse 17 says this is that believers ought to be one who are constantly praying pray without ceasing now for me when i saw this command as a young person i was trying to figure out how this worked you know is this a 24-hour thing where i am stopped and i have my hands folded and the eyes closed and uh and if i'm not doing that i'm somehow breaking this command that i am not praying all the time i'm not praying without ceasing is there somehow that i'm breaking this command what is uh, the the occasion here is just uh, the understanding that praying without season is ceasing is the idea of praying that never well holds off for a season it's sort of like this uh, we have a story of an individual who was known for his prayer in the old testament a man by the name of daniel in fact he was known for his praying now understand this he's a government official He works for rulers of empires. Uh, He's the one to give them counsel. There's not time that he has to be 24 hours a day praying. But you know, he did find time to be able to pray. His opponents knew that he had a time where he would pray morning, noon, and night. And even though the law came out that said no one was to pray to anybody else except for the Persian king at that time, Daniel's habit was, okay, we'll just keep praying like we normally do. We'll communicate with God and do this. And understand that prayer is not just merely the folding of hands and the closing of eyes and ending with an amen. Uh, Prayer is communication. Just as you end up communicating with people throughout the day, whether it is through phone or through texting, and you do this off and on all the time, you're doing this type of thing. So it is that throughout the day, you're communicating with God. See, we're in a world that is one that is opposed to us, and one that is not a friend of grace, and not a friend of salvation and the gospel. And so we're going to find opposition. And as you think about this, the Scripture, and Paul does in another passage of Scripture, uh, give uh, the warning to believers that they're in a war. And in Ephesians chapter 6, you have the individual, it's the believers, to arm themselves with certain things to put on certain armor of God and we can go through all of that but the one thing that we oftentimes forget is that the end of that where it gets through and you have the helmet of salvation you have the sword of the spirit which is the word of god and then all of a sudden at the end it makes this statement Ephesians 6 and verse 18, it says, "...praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for the saints." And then Paul says, "...and pray for me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak." Here you have at the very end, all this equipment but what he is saying is this you need to have communication with the and this is what you would expect in a military situation with the commanding officer with the one that's in charge of what's going on and what we ought to as believers be in a constant state of communication with god And so for believers, this is, if there is a season where there is not prayer regularly going on, then there's probably an issue of pride going on that I can take care of things and I don't need any help and I've got this secured and I'll be okay. And the answer is, no, you won't. We live in a a world that is trying to destroy us, uh, being pushed by an individual uh, who is, uh, as uh, Ephesians 6 talks about, is a wily individual, one who is always strategizing uh, to destroy you. And so you ought to be in constant prayer. This ought to be a part of our life, whether it is for something like the Apostle Paul says, you pray for me, Uh, if you don't think that you need prayer, at least be praying for me because I need help. As i go and give the gospel and so as believers we're called to be constantly praying always rejoicing constantly praying and then as you see in verse number 18 that we are continually thanking we're continually thanking as you see the statement and everything give thanks and as it's saying here it's not saying give thanks for all things but it's basically saying this give thanks in every circumstance There is something that you can thank God for in every situation. Regardless of what you're going through and regardless of the situation, you can look at the situation and go, I at least can thank God for this. In accidents, in sickness, there are things that you can find to thank God for. The person that's in the hospital that's a Christian shouldn't be the one that's on the floor that everyone's avoiding because they're miserable and they're, they're ones who are always complaining. No, uh, you ought to be the one that is at least a light to individuals where they see there's someone who's thankful that is going through horrible situations one that seems to to not really be completely burdened down but is one who is looking at the circumstances and saying what has God given to me that I didn't deserve and what has God given to me that is abundantly above all that I could even think in a situation like this that God has given to me and so for believers we ought to always in every circumstance be able to thank God for something the one is put it this way, believers are not to give thanks only when they get some boon or good from God. It's in all circumstances that we ought to be thanking God. And the Apostle Paul, previously in this letter in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 9 through 10 he made this statement for what thanks can we render to God again for you for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking your faith I mean he's looking at this situation he's going if I have anything to thank God for I can look at what God's doing in somebody else's life and even be thankful for that even though I might be going through difficult circumstances and so for the apostle paul with all of these commands he's going through and he's just simply saying this always rejoicing constantly praying continually thanking and you're going i'm not sure about that And you get to verse number 18 at the end and it says oh this is really what god wants for you at the end of the verse it says this this is the will of god in christ jesus concerning you this is what god expects you to be doing without question it's the will of God that's and it's not just referring to and some get confused that they think in verse 18 giving a thanks this is the will of God it's referring to the previous commands that we've just looked through that these are the things that are the will of God so as a church as individuals but also as a church we ought to be known for our ability to always rejoice that we are a church that is constantly praying communicating with god and that we are ones that no matter what the circumstance is that we can continually thank god you know it ought to be that if we were to be say okay we're now going to have a time to thank god and we're going to open the floor and you can say whatever you want you know what it shouldn't be something where we're going "Hmm." no We, we ought to be individuals that are constantly thinking of what god has done and are thankful so that's the first set of commands that the apostle paul writes here There's this list that it's all connected but the second list of commands starting in verse 19 to verse 22 you see this that the connecting church correctly discerns god's working okay let me repeat it again the connecting church correctly discerns god's working and It may not be initially clear but what we have here is that the apostle paul is saying you need to make sure what you have going on in your church services matches up to what god has said but don't go over bounds and quench things or stop things that are legitimately right and good the commands start this way allow the spirit to work you have this statement, quench not the spirit. And along with that, verse 20 goes with this, despise not prophesying. And when you have a situation like this, remember how the early church is functioning. The early church, this is, and you sometimes forget this, this is the first letter that the Apostle Paul, that we have, wrote in, in time, Chronologically. You know, we have it in a different order here in our Bible. Usually it's the larger letters going down to the smaller letters that it's arranged. But First Thessalonians, uh, maybe outside of the book of Galatians, uh, is one of the first letters written. So what we have here is early on in the infancy of the church, a letter written by the apostle Paul. And understand, at the beginning of the church, there were a lot of things that went on that the Spirit was doing uh, that He does not do now. You go, what do you mean by that? Uh, he had things like people speaking in tongues. You had people who suddenly who didn't understand language able to interpret that tongue and be able to interpret for people. You had individuals in church services that were known as prophets say how do you know this first corinthians 12 13 and 14 give us a rundown of how this worked how this went on and these prophesying's and these uh, teachings and and the like and what you had uh, before the scriptures were completed and that's what first corinthians 13 talks about uh, when you suddenly get to the middle of that chapter that's all about love it's the most important state or not the most important thing in there but the apostle paul makes a statement that these things are going to cease of themselves they're going to stop when that which is perfect is come you go what's that which is perfect when the revelation that we have in our hands is finished and Early on in the church, you didn't have all the letters written yet. I mean, think about this. We're at First Thessalonians. There's a whole bunch of other things that we now have in our New Testament that had not been written yet. And what God would do through his Spirit was that he would empower individuals to do the work that eventually our Scripture would do. They would be empowered by the Spirit. And understand, when we talk about uh, this statement where Paul says, don't quench the Spirit, he's saying, don't stop the working of God. Don't put a, you know, you think about this when you're told to put out fires, you know, get a wet towel, throw that over it. Or you think about how a fire extinguisher works you've got all these chemicals in there that stifle the air around the fire so it stops what, what's going on here is simply this as a church don't stifle the working of the spirit in the church and for the apostle paul he actually addresses a single thing that you might not have recognized that with this statement quench not the spirit he's specifically stating a certain thing they're not supposed to be doing And he says this, don't despise prophesying. It seemed like that in this church that the Thessalonians that were here, the Thessalonians that were in this church, that they were looking at people who had this gift of prophecy. And you say, what was the gift of prophecy? Most of the time when we say that word, people are thinking, okay, a person who's telling what future events are going to be like. Okay, that's a little element of prophecy. And there were individuals in the New Testament that were known as prophets that prophesied the famine was coming or that someone was going to prison. And they were right in this. A man by the name of Agabus is a, a prophet in the New Testament. But a work of a prophet to, in the Old Testament as well in the New Testament wasn't just merely to foretell things. I mean, foretell future events. The major responsibility, especially as you read through the Old Testament, you find that they're just simply telling forth or we would say this, forth telling what the Scripture already said. What was already clearly there. And you had certain individuals that seemed to be gifted in the church who had a clear understanding of what the Word of God said, and they were declaring it with power. And for some in the church at Thessalonica, there seemed to be, and their, their understanding of this, they were just kind of going, "Would these people stop? We really don't like this 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 thing going on in our church, even though in the early church this was something that went on." Now, that's not to say that there's not a balance. Okay? Because what you have in First Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, you have a church that has just given complete chaos to their church in the way they run their church Because they had no order in the service, nothing going on that was orderly and decent as God does things decently in order. The service was a pure chaos where you'd have people attempting to prophesy over here and some uh, speaking in tongues over here and some trying to understand what's being said. And the service was chaos and Paul has to in 1 Corinthians 14 go, okay, here's the standard by which you're going to run your service. And he talks about the prophesying. He talks about speaking in tongues. But he says, here's how you're going to do this. And for the Apostle Paul, as he says this, he's first of all saying, don't stifle a work of God. You go, what does that mean? There are times where you can be so staid and formal that something's going on and you can be like, oh, that's just pure emotion. I don't like that because it's, it's a little bit different than what we're normally used to is what the Lord's doing. Okay, that sometimes happens. And as you read about revivals that take place, there are some unusual things that happen. But that does not say that you just allow anything that claims to have the name of Christ to it and says this is a special working of God, that you don't use some discernment. And that's what the Apostle Paul balances with by the other set of commands. Look at verse uh, uh, 21. He says this, prove all things. And that word prove is just the idea that you test all things. You just don't merely take things in without thinking. You go and say, okay, does this match up to what we previously know? The idea of proving is that you have a test that proves the quality or tests the quality of an object. You would have this term normally used to describe metals. In the process of testing a metal, you would see how much uh, you would have in there that was waste material or not quite pure material, and you would test the quality of that. That was you know, a test that oftentimes required a little bit of fire, that type of thing that went on, but uh, you had this test that would take place. And so the Apostle Paul says, okay, when you have things go on in your church, okay? Don't just merely absorb it and say, okay, it's all right because I think they're okay and we'll go with that. No, Paul says you also ought to test it. Don't quench it, but also just kind of discern whether it's right or wrong. And you say, how do you know that? Well, verse 21 explains what prove all things is. It says, hold fast to that which is good and abstain from the appearance of evil. It's explaining what you do. You look at what's going on, and then you look at other portions of Scripture and other things that you know and go, Does this seem to be of God? I mean, this is not a new thing where the Apostle Paul is just coming up with this and saying, You need to be discerning about what goes on. John the Apostle in 1 John 4, 1-3 says this, "...Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God." Because many false prophets are gone out into the world, hereby know we the spirit, ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesses not that Jesus is come in the flesh is not of God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, whereof we have heard that it should come. Even now already it is in the world the apostle john there simply says this that you need to test the spirits why because there's a lot of people who are dressed in wool that are really wolves individuals who put on religious garment and religious sounding terms and religious ideas and they come presenting certain things and they are out merely to destroy they're doing the work of the devil to destroy whether it be a work of God or the like. You say, well, how in the world do do we understand whether or not something would be of God? Do we remember what church was just down the road from Thessalonica? It's the church of Berea. And you remember what they did when the Apostle Paul came into the synagogue and started preaching? Religious-sounding guy. Got credentials, it seems like. uh, And uh, he seems to be an individual like this. It says that these individuals were more noble than those at Thessalonica because they did what? They searched the Scriptures. What they did is what the Apostle Paul was declaring to be true. They were looking at the Word of God and going... Okay, Yeah, it seems to be in line, seems to be in line, seems to be in line. Okay, let's hear what he has to say uh, and take it to the conclusions that he's drawing and telling us certain things. Does it contradict what we already have in our hands? And this is how you can be individuals that aren't soon taken by false teaching. You think about uh, this uh, church that is here and... You say, was this a warning that they really needed? Yeah, they did. Realize that the reason Paul had to write 2 Thessalonians, not that he wrote 2 Thessalonians at the top, but why do we have another letter written to the Thessalonians? It's because of the fact that they get taken by people who are misunderstanding what the day of the Lord is. And saying, some of you, and they're declaring this, you've missed it. You've missed the day of Christ. And the Apostle Paul spends all of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 going, you haven't missed it. In fact, it hasn't happened yet. And I'm going to give you some signs that if you see these things, okay, it's happened. But until then, you're still not there yet. You're okay. But you had individuals that obviously were coming through after the Apostle Paul, teaching certain things, and confusing individuals because what they were prophesying we put that in quotes what they were declaring was wrong the Thessalonican church did not take this command as well as they should have so the apostle Paul has to write another letter and say okay you need to work on this be discerning now understand there are people who are gifted in different ways and they comes to the church they have different spiritual gifts and they come in and they do different things but make sure when you look at them and hear their teaching that it lines up to what is uh the word of god says and if it's right cleave to it but if it's wrong you have the statement abstain from all appearance or all forms of evil if it doesn't match up with what the scripture says avoid it or the idea of that word of stain is really kind of the idea of shun it. Put it aside. Don't uh, involve yourself in this. And so as a church, for them not to be uh, one that eventually gets destroyed by individuals that are false teachers and false prophets, they're supposed to exercise the discernment God has given them, but a discernment that should have been based on the Word of God, much like the church at Thessalonica. And so as you see this, have a connecting church that is discerning of the things going on around them but then the apostle paul really kind of closes down his letter with this prayer that you find in verses 23 and 24 where you see the connecting church looks forward one day to being completely holy the prayer there the apostle paul verse 23 and the very god of peace sanctify you holy and I pray your God, or pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is He that calleth you, who will also do it. And you have this statement where the Apostle Paul makes a prayer for them, closing off this letter and saying, "This is the prayer I have for you." That you understand that the god of peace sanctify you holy that you're seeing this that in every every aspect of your life you're seeing progress in your life you say what's sanctification what's that idea of being holy it's the idea of having less and less of sin and more and more of christ that you're more set in the idea of sanctified and holiness is the idea of being set apart that you're more set apart from sin and that you're more set apart to christ that as you go through life, it ought to be not that every day you're perfect and you've got this whole thing where you're getting more, you know, in the sense that you eventually will be perfect in this life. No, but what you ought to see is that there is progress. where you were at five years ago or ten years ago that you've progressed further the things that were part of your life that weren't right back then those things have changed and there are things that you now are doing that you would have never done five to ten years ago uh, in the service of christ to glorify him to magnify him in the community to reflect what christ is like the Apostle Paul just says this. I I hope that you understand this. This God of peace that he will sanctify you holy that you'll see in every aspect of your life this work going on. That it'll happen. Now, the Apostle Paul's not saying I don't think it'll happen. No, because for every believer there is a good work going on. God's doing something in them. But he also says this, I look forward to this, that one day God will not only progressively sanctify you, as we might put it this way, that he will one day perfectly sanctify you. You say, when does that happen? There are some people that believe this, that you can be perfectly sanctified and be perfectly holy in this life. And the answer is, if you do a good observation of your life every day, it doesn't matter. There are things that you realize don't don't match up to christ don't absolutely reflect him but there are some that say that they just change the definition of what sin is they just call it a mistake you're kind of going no it's it's sin is what has always been but there is something that as believers we can look forward to and that's one day us being completely holy and that happens when we stand before god Never to sin again. Some talk, talk about that. Sanctification as being a term we use this way. Glorification. You're glorified. You're like Jesus. When he shall appear, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We will be able to because we will reflect his character perfectly. And what he acknowledges is this, that every part of our being will be sanctified i don't know if you realize there's a great discussion about this verse because one day it says this about our our being is that our spirit soul and body will be completely sanctified and people go what's the difference between soul and spirit okay i'm I'm going to give you an answer here it's not easy to define and I'm not about to go and try and define it for you because no one's got a good understanding exactly the difference between the soul and the spirit. And did you know there are such people that are dichotomous that say that human beings are just merely soul and body or excuse me spirit and body? I think what they're talking about is this is when we think about our personality, we do have our body, but there's also an inner aspect of this. And the inner aspect is kind of harder to define our soul and our spirit. What's our soul? What's our spirit? Some have defined it this way, that our soul is just our living and life this way. Our spirit is perhaps dead before it meets Christ, and now our spirit is made alive. I mean, that could be the case, but understand that Hebrews 4 and verse 12, when it talks about the Word of God as the sword of the Spirit, it's uh, uh quick, uh, active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. You go, what do you mean uh, that it says that? The, the Bible acknowledges the fact that it's hard to discern between what our soul and spirit is. But what the Apostle Paul is saying here, it doesn't really matter because when you get to heaven, your body, your soul, and your spirit will never sin again. Never sin again. I mean, that's one of the glories of heaven as you read through uh, in Revelation 21 and 22. There's all the the things about the different uh, gems and the the gold and whatever else and the city and the size of it and all of these things. But I think the most attractive thing is that when you're there, there's no sin there. Which means that there's no sin there and you're there, you have no sin. And the people that you meet in the streets of gold uh, and you meet with them, they have no sin that is something that the apostle paul says that he believes this that god is able to preserve them blameless into the coming of our lord jesus christ he's praying for this that this would be the case and if you wonder if it will really happen he puts that little statement at the end faithful okay god doesn't break any of his promises he's always faithful we are people who at times are unfaithful because we break promises all the time. But God's faithful because He didn't break any promises. Faithful is He who calleth you, who also will do it he's promised to give you life eternal and he's promised to free you from sin well he one day will do it and the apostle paul says i hope you recognize that work going on right now and that you're seeing it even more and more in your life that it's going on you're seeing the spirit doing a work uh, in you changing you but one day he is going to bring you right into his presence and you'll be sanctified holy So no matter if you say, I'm not perfect right now and I'm not where I should be, well, thank God that you are one day going to be that way. And it's not going to be through your own effort. It's going to be through the efforts of God. And so as Paul is writing to this church, he just simply says, look forward to the fact, see God's holiness in your life, but look forward to the fact that one day the struggles of life and with yourself will be over. You'll stand sinless before God. Now, the, the conclusion of this letter is verses 25 through 28. And this is kind of, I mean, the letter's over with that prayer. But Paul puts in, you know, the postscript, postscript, post, postscript, that P.S. that's at the end. And he simply says this, brethren, pray for us. So I'm putting this note in, uh, we've got some difficulty going on here as we are in uh, now in the city of Corinth. Uh, some difficulty going on there. Uh, so pray for us verse 26 greet all the brethren with an holy kiss i'm thankful for this one not being the case if you understand what it means it's just simply saying this when you greet people in church brothers and sisters in the church that it's done in a sincerity and a love that's true that you're happy and you think about we're talking about a connecting church if we're if we can't connect with one another and be sincere about it how are we ever going to reach a world around us if we're not sincere in our relations to one another and so the apostle paul just simply says this hey i'm reminding you it starts just even with the greeting of one another that you connect or this verse 27 i charge you by the lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren brothers and sisters uh Make sure that when this letter gets there, everybody hears it. Remember, back then they didn't have photocopying machines. They didn't have emails that you could add a um, a, uh, a clipping, I, I'm I'm an attachment. There we go. Uh, add an attachment to it. No, it was back in that day. The letter would be sent, and this would be something that would be publicly read. For everyone to hear and so he's saying i charge you to do this and then the how paul closes all of these letters in his postscript the grace of our lord jesus christ be with you amen and he just simply says this understand that you can't do it yourself you need god's grace the gifting that he gives to be able to do what you're supposed to be doing may god display his grace in your life I was reading this and uh, going through this, came across a story a little while ago, but remembered it here. Back on August 16th of 2022, there was a situation at 8 o'clock in the morning on Loop 410 and Morrison Boulevard in San Antonio. There was a van that flipped over in the middle median. An individual got out of his vehicle, a man by the name of John Escobedo, and he recalled people to come over and start helping. Vehicles were driving as fast as they could, one way or another, in the morning rush to, to get to their jobs or school or whatever it may have been at that point. And they were doing this, but he's calling people and, and hollering to people, come on and help. And they started to do this. Now, I, I kind of laugh at this because John Escobedo, Escobedo was the one who called everybody to come over to help, and then he's the one who videotaped the whole episode while everyone else is doing this. There's video footage of this as multiple people are there in the rain, flipping over the vehicle back onto its wheels. Once the car was on its, uh, was flipped over, the group knew that they had to rescue the person who was still in the driver's seat. There's people yelling, break it and break it, and someone behind, uh, said uh, behind the cameraman, and, and one man was seen holding a tool, smashing the window to get it. Moments later, a man in a white shirt grabbed the tool, struck the car window. Uh, others started yelling, pull him out, pull him out. And there were individuals that were then trying to get the door open and were attending to the individual. And then you had individuals crying, This make sure that he's uninjured. When this video made it out, people were just excited by the fact that these good Samaritans were willing to pull off the road take of their time to help flip this vehicle over and rescue this man who, when they were all done, was conscious but sent to the emergency room uh, having been flipped multiple times in his vehicle. And you say, well, what happened there? You had individuals that recognized there was a need of someone who was in need of help and you had a bunch of individuals that together they were able to rescue this individual And as 1 Thessalonians has made very clear as we've gone through this, it's that the church has to connect with one another and help one another in order to be able to reach others who are in danger. And it may be very well that there are individuals that are like those cars just driving by, not slowing down to help the individual. But as the church, we ought to be connecting with one another and then connecting to reach individuals that are in distress as so we said, this whole book's about the fact that we're a Christian community connecting in a culture that's collapsing. And as you look around you, there is a culture that's collapsing all around us. A lot of things that I'm sure many of you, uh, 5 to 10, even 20 years ago, would never imagine being in the public discussion uh, and being up for public decision. But we are in a society that is that way. And you say, well, what's going on? There's a lot of people that are rushing past each other, but they're on their way to destruction. And we as believers just ought to be ones that are united, here as the church, and then connecting with those in the community and helping those that will be rescued, those that will be saved, and help them learn of the Savior, seeing Him reflected in our life, And then eventually become part of a church like this that we have called individuals and connected with them so as the church let us work together to help connect rescue people together as we see the culture around us collapsing may we be doing that faithfully even in the little things that we had here tonight that we're doing those faithfully to do what we should lord we thank you you are a god that uh, is one who is great and we have read here that uh, we can delight in the fact that you're a faithful god and the things that you've promised in the scripture through your son will happen that's a great uh, thing the great things that you promised us it's gracious it's merciful uh, that one day we will stand uh, in your presence without sin because of what your son has done but Lord, help us as Christ's body reflect uh, what Christ is like that we would be uh, seeing uh, things set apart in our life and things that were set apart too in following Christ that we're changing to reflect more and more the life of Christ as individuals but also as a church. And as we have opportunity, may we uh, be able to rejoice in seeing individuals rescued and delivered in a society that is uh, opposed to itself Uh, it's destroying itself may we be the lights that we should be but we are a church that is together in this process so lord may we reflect what you would be doing if uh, your son was here on the earth right now May we as a church be reflecting that as individuals and as a whole reaching out to a world that is in desperate need. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.